All right, we are in Luke 19, and here's what's going on. Uh, a few weeks ago, we started a little five-week series, and today we're finishing it up. Uh, we started a series called A Jesus Church, and, and here is why. It's Matthew 16, where Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church, referring to that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God, and he goes, and on this truth, on this rock, on this foundation, I'm going to build my church. And so we've been asking the question, like, what type of church does Jesus have in mind that he wants to build? Like, what should the church be about? Like, why do we exist? Like, what's the point of, of, a, of the church, and what's the point of the local church, and, and what should we be about? And so by no means were we able to get into, like, every nitty-gritty detail or topic, but we kind of just looked at this from a 30,000-feet view of just, here's what the church is about. So week one was this. We looked at the gospel. We want to be a church that's about the gospel. Then we looked at the word, a church that is about the word. Uh, week three, we looked at the spirit, how we want to be a church that desperately relies and needs and seeks the power of the spirit. Last week, Pastor John was here, and he, he spoke on the mission, like the mission God has given us. And then today, we're going to look at the why. All right, really, the topic is worship, like why we exist. What's the po- point of this? And so we looked at the gospel, the word, the spirit, the mission, the why. So today I do want to talk about worship, and I'll kind of like, let me preface a few things. I want to talk about worship, big picture, but I also want to talk about just the aspect of praise and rejoicing and singing. But let me make this really clear. Uh, Last week we talked about Jesus made the church for what? For mission, to go and make disciples. Yes, like we've heard that, we get that. But here's the point. Mission only exists because there are parts of the world that where worship does not exist. And so the point of us of going out is to make, really draw people in to become what they're created for, and that is to be true worshipers of the living God. So I love how John Piper said this, and maybe you've heard this, but it's just so profound. He said it this way, missions, listen, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not man. When this age is over, and countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. You see, missions exist because worship doesn't. Even as we're walking through this, we realize that we want to be a part of this because we want people to find their true meaning of why God made them and why God created them, and that is to know him, enjoy him, worship him, walk with him. That is this lifestyle of worship. So I want, to be, I want to be really clear. I know we know this, maybe, maybe not, but we know that worship is more than singing. Obviously, worship is more than praise. Like, let's be really clear. Worship is a lifestyle. Like, we're told in Romans 12, 1, to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, this is our spiritual worship. Paul def- defines worship as saying, God, everywhere I go, whatever I do, I want my life to just be spiritual worship to you. I want my lifestyle. It's like the idea in 1 Corinthians 9, he goes, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Like, yes, absolutely. Life- worship is a lifestyle. It's much more than singing and praise. But at the same time, we have something very unique, I believe, to our Christian faith, which is singing and praise. Obviously, other religions and other worldviews offer this somewhat, but I want you to think about this. Like, the Christian worldview from the very beginning is we are a singing people. God did not just give us the prophets to speak God's truth to us. God gave us the Psalms, just filled with music, filled with instruments, filled with song, praise, shouting. God's like, I don't want you just to know truth. I want you to shout it. I want you to sing it. I want you to enjoy it. We really do think about this, church. We have a really old, ancient tradition of just singing, of singing under unique moments, under persecution, under suffering, under loss, under good times, under bad times. We have something that's very unique to our faith, I genuinely believe, which is singing. 
Like, this is a beautiful thing. You, you might even wonder, like, why do we always start off with singing? Like, isn't that bizarre? You know, why, do, why does church begin with, like, hey, let's sing? Like, what is that? Psalm 100, verse 2, and you know this. He says uh, in Psalm 100, verse 2, come into his presence with singing. Like, God constantly invites us to walk into his presence with singing. He says, enter into his courts with thanksgiving. Enter into his gates with praise. It's really interesting how God invites us and asks us, say, when you approach me, approach me with singing. And I know that's kind of bizarre, right? Especially if you're not, like, musically inclined or, like, I don't really like singing. But God's like, when you approach me, come into my presence with singing, with psalm, with with just these, these spiritual songs. Guys, church, we have something to sing about. Right? Would you agree? We actually, unlike many other worldviews, we actually have something incredibly, incredible worth singing about. And so that's why we start off with singing. We want to just enter into his presence that way. And so as we talk about worship today, as we talk about why we exist, I do want to like acknowledge, of course, the truth of Colossians 1.16. It says, all things were created by him and for him, or all things were created through him and for him. Like we are created by God and for God. That is why we exist. Worship is truly a lifestyle. But as we talk about the church, like something, again, that is unique to us is this idea of singing. Carl Barth was a, a pastor, a theologian, brilliant guy, and he wrote about just kind of like, what is the church? Here's what he said about singing. Listen to this. He says, the Christian church sings. Its singing is not a concert, but from inner material necessity, it sings. Singing is the highest form of human expression. What we can and must say quite confidently is that the church which does not sing is not the church. And writing about the church, he's going, this is just a part of it. This is a part of our lifestyle, part of our culture. Like, we are singing people because we have something worth singing about. Amen? Like, I really want to produce within my heart, within our heart, this sense of praise, of rejoice, of shout, of be still, of psalm, of song, of singing. And I'm just praying that God turns us into a church that worships. Whenever revival breaks out in any community, God just takes the things he's already given us and heightens them. God takes the word of God and, like, the hunger for the Bible and just heightens that. God takes psalm and singing and worship and just heightens that. And I'm just praying, like, God, make us a people that, like, love to work, like, why we are created. And yes, it's a lifestyle, but it must be a part of our psalm, our song, our singing. It must be part of it. You know, I was reading this book recently, last part of this intro. I was reading this book recently from Francis Chan. It's just called Letters to the Church. And here's, here's a book he, he wrote basically saying, like, hey, I led a megachurch for, for many, many years, and we did many good things to it. And I'm not against megachurches by any means, but he's just saying, here's my heart in this kind of moment where I'm at in ministry and life. And he basically says, if I were to start it over again, which he did, he's like, Here what I, here's what I'd emphasize, and I just want to read this. He says, I was, listen, I was determined to create something different from what I had experienced before. This was my chance to build exactly the kind of church I wanted to be a part of. First, I wanted all of us to sing directly to God. And I mean really sing. I'm not talking about going through the motions of singing out of routine or guilt. He goes, have you been a part of a group of people actually singing directly to God? Singing with reverence and emotion? Singing as though God is really listening to their voices? That is a powerful experience. And I wanted it to be central to our new church. Listen, this is our hope. You know, that as, as God is building this, as Jesus built his church, that we would say, yes, Lord, we're going to jump on board and be a singing community. Like, we're going to be a rejoicing community. We're going to sing directly to God with reverence, with fear, with awe, with wonder, with excitement. Like, God, that there's a mixture of thoughts and intelligence and will and also emotion. And, and we don't want to fear either one. 
And so we just kind of want to walk in this, embrace this. So as we talk about why we exist and worship and psalm and singing and rejoicing, as we do that, I just thought it'd be good for us to just kind of go back to the Palm Sunday story, kind of use that as our text, and then we'll use that for just this idea of worship. But so we're going to look at Luke 19 and just read what happened uh, this day a couple thousand years ago when Jesus is entering Jerusalem on a donkey and what happens, what do people break out into, and we're going to look at why we're created. Cool? Can we do that? All right, Psalm 19, or Psalm, Luke 19. Why not? It's a Psalm. Luke 19, verse 29. Let's just kind of read the Palm Sunday account and see how it reflects uh, why we're here. Psalm, or Luke, again, 19, verse 29. Luke 19, 29. It says, And it came to pass, when Jesus drew near to Bethphage and, and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, the Mount of Olives, that Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it, just as he has said to them. But they were loosing the colt. The owners of it said to them, or while they were doing that, they said, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then, so it obviously worked, then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they sat on him, and Jesus sat on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. And they cried out, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to Jesus from the crowd and saying, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. We want to look at why we exist. We want to look at the purpose of the church. We want to look at this from this lens of we are created to worship. That worship is a lifestyle, absolutely. But this element of worship today we're going to be looking at is singing, rejoicing, celebrating. Can we do that? Can we just pray and just kind of invite the Lord to just speak to us and hopefully kind of wake us up to this ancient truth we know about, like we know we sing, but just kind of make it a part of our DNA. So let's just pray and invite the Lord to do that. Let's do that right now. Father, we just thank you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this time. God, we thank you for Palm Sunday. We thank you, Jesus, that you came in fulfilling scripture, riding on a donkey, Lord, that you are recognized as the Messiah, the King who has come to save. And Lord, we just pray that even this morning, we'd be reminded of worship that the King has come. That Jesus, you rule, you reign, there is no one like you, God. For this, for this message, maybe of Palm Sunday, or even just worship, it might feel like it's a message we've heard, but make it brand new, Jesus. Make it something within our lives that you just recreate within us, this desire to just celebrate and shout who you are, your mighty works, what you've done. And so, Lord, I just ask that you'd be here and bless, bless us in your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You know, I think we all can agree, obviously, that music is incredibly powerful. Like, we know this. Music just, just it does something to us, right? It can hype us up. We know that music does something to our emotions. It does something to our mind, our thoughts. You know, whether you're in the car and you look over at someone and you're like, they're like, go, they lose their mind because like they're listening to their favorite song. Like right now, I always, I always hear music every Sunday. I don't know if you can hear it, but sometimes I can hear this music playing from the gym and I'm like trying not to go and beat with the rhythm. Um, but music is something, right? It just, it's powerful. It just does something to us. It's funny. I've, I've definitely had different seasons of music where I want more of that hype music. Like right now, when I go to the gym, I have my 
I have my, you know, music, my NF, uh, that I try to, like, get hyped to when I work out. Uh, I've had seasons of just cold play and, like, the Bon Iver and just, to, like, kind of relax me a little bit. And, like, even Bon Iver falls asleep to Bon Iver. It's just so relaxing, right? It's just so calm. There's just something about music. It can just, it can lift you up. It can almost depress you at different times. It can just do different things to us. I, I love this season where my daughter, who's two, my son, who's five, uh, they love to just, like, y- y- bark out orders to Alexa. Um, I'm always, like, afraid to say her name, but I think she hears me right now. But they're like, Alexa, and they're like, play You've Got a Friend in Me. And, like, he knows how to do this. So he just turns on music, and she'll play Toy Story, You've Got a Friend in Me, and they just dance and spin, and it's such a fun season just to watch them, like, do that. And then they usually hit each other, fall, and cry and get mad. Um, but it's so fun, like what music does. It just does something to every age, man, to every person. It can really do something. And it is crazy. I mean, music is just powerful, what it does to people. It can unite people. It can divide people. It's crazy if you go to a concert with your friends, and you have someone who's just like losing it. They're like lost in the pit or something. You're like, you're like what happened to you? are like, I don't know. Something came over me. It was the music. Like, it's just crazy what it does. Now, here's the thing. If you ever obviously pay attention to certain artists or music, you kind of listen to the lyrics, and you go like, this is kind of messed up a little bit. Like, what they're promoting here is kind of messed up. Or it's just weird how music can be used to manipulate people and our thoughts. My thing is this, obviously the enemy at different times can use music to draw people away from God or away from God's presence. But I want to say this, at the same time, this is not what the enemy created. Like, God gave us music. God, like, birthed the idea of song, of instrument. God tells us in Psalm 150 to, like, get different instruments and to play it to him. Like, this is not the enemy's tool to draw people away from God. This is God's invention to draw us closer to him. One way I want to put it, if the enemy can use music to draw people away from God, why can't the church use music to move people toward God? Like, why can't the church use this? And that's what we want to do. We want to use the songs, psalms, spiritual songs, hymns, different things. We want to use music to just kind of bring God back into focus, to like bring why we exist back into focus, and for for God to use that to just draw and stir our hearts back to him. Because there is something powerful about psalm that God created. You know, obviously, here's, here's one way, and maybe you've heard it, but I want to be really clear. God desires like that, yes, like, God desires good theology, absolutely. But God desires that we have good doxology, and you're like, what the heck are you saying? What does this mean? God desires that we know his word, that we understand it, we, we study him. Theology is just the study of God. Doxology is simply the application of praise of your theology, meaning I'm, we're, we teach through the Bible so we can have good understanding, good truth, good theology. Yes, that's like a part of it, but that's to lead to song. Like, if we're studying this and it doesn't do something to your heart where you just want to praise him, we're missing the point. Like, God desires good theology and good doxology, the application or praise. Uh, Again, here's the definition. Doxology is an expression of praise to God. It's the application of God's word. It's where as we study it, we read about his mighty works. As we read about who Jesus is, the sacrifice, the resurrection, what he's done, it should burst into song. Like, God, thank you. We're like, maybe you just, you create a song. You sing a new song. You're just kind of going, thank you, Jesus. Maybe your prayer is a mixture of being quiet and just celebrating, thanking him. But it's supposed to do something to us. You see, I I love how one person put it. They said, truth without the spirit is empty religion. When you have truth, God's word without the Holy Spirit is just empty religion. But then on the other hand, when you have the spirit without truth, it, it can be idolatry. When you have maybe that emotional song, aspect a song, but there's not really good theology backing up, then you just have a heart that is pursuing idolatry. See, we want to have this blend of just theology and doxology, of just knowing God's word and living it out, expressing it through praise and song. We want to walk in this. So um, as we talk about worship today, as we talk about praise, 
I hope God can remind us of some things we know. Listen, I thought this was so interesting. The root word of these Hebrew words of praise and worship, praise simply means you're looking up. Praise is when you look up, you thank God, you celebrate. Worship is when you just bow down. Worship is the songs, songs like where you just kind of like reflect and you can't look, you almost can't look up. You're like, God, you're so good. Thank you for saving someone like me. And praise is like, God, it's also like, thank you for saving someone like me where you look up. It's crazy how worship has these different aspects of looking up, of bowing down. And I think it's okay for us to kind of have different kind of moods or feels even in, in music and in worship. So as we talk about this today, I want to define some things. I want to look at some scriptures, obviously, of what this looks like, why we exist. We are created by him and for him. But there's this true element to come into his presence with singing. And it's almost like God stir our hearts again, wake us up, let it not become routine to us. So here's how we're going to break this down. We're going to look at what is worship. We're going to look at why we worship and then how to worship. What is worship, why we worship, how to worship. Here's the first thing today. What is worship? Like, what is it? There's a lot of definitions out there. Like, what is it? I think the best is worship is the act of ascribing ultimate value to something in a way that engages your whole person, your whole being. So worship is a way to ascribe value to something, and it engages your whole person, your whole being, your body, your mind, your will, your emotions. Worship should encompass all of that. We'll look at that more, but let's read actually Luke 19, what happened when Jesus is coming in. Look at how it engages their whole person. Luke 19, uh, would you read verse 36 with me? Here's how it bursts into worship for them. Luke 19, 36. It says, as Jesus went, many, or as Jesus went, many spread their clothes on the road. They either brought their clothes or took out their outer garment and they laid it down the road. Then, as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Listen, remember, worship is ascribing ultimate worth, and it involves your whole being, your whole person. I want you to think about just kind of like they're different, there's these different aspects here. They see Jesus coming. They see him, recognize him, and they, they basically either take off their outer garment or they take their clothes in the room and they're laying it down on the road as he comes in, giving him like this royal entrance. This idea, and they also other books, the Gospels say that they lit on palm branches, but the idea is like they're giving him this royal entrance, entrance saying, we recognize who you are, that you're the king. I want you to think about even just laying down your garments for a donkey to walk over, and the idea of like there's this act, there's this choice, there's this will being offered, like I'm willingly offering my garment, I'm willingly giving this. And then they're rejoicing, they're praising with a loud voice. There's emotions involved. There's this thought process involved. They end up actually singing Psalm 118, the verse we just read, that they're saying that glory to God in the highest. They're singing Psalm 118. It's a psalm that was dedicated to the Messiah's coming, saying the Messiah has come. He's here. So they see Jesus. It involves their will, laying down their clothes. It involves their emotions. They're singing, rejoicing, praising with a loud voice. I mean, that's emotions involved in that with a loud voice. And then you see them also using their mind by engaging with Scripture and using Scripture to fuel their worship. Here's why this is so important, church, as we talk about worship. Worship engages like all of our, all of our body, all of our life. Worship engages my mind. Worship should engage the way we think. As we talk about God, his character, his attributes, who he is, his mighty works, what he's done, as we talk about that, that should engage our mind a little bit. Maybe we should, we should ask questions. We should ponder a little bit. But it will engage your mind. It will, it will engage with Scripture. 
And then I love that they see him and they just lay down their clothes. Like, I'm choosing to make a sacrifice for Jesus the King. So worship usually involves some sort of sacrifice. Obviously, there's many examples of this. There's Mary who breaks open the oil, right? The one who breaks open the oil is just a sense of worship. It's David who wants to build God the threshing floor. And he's like, I can't give to God something that costs me nothing. Like, worship always involves some sort of act of will or sacrifice. And we see the emotions of singing and, and the loud voice and together. And you look at worship and you say, God, it engages the whole being. Why this is so important for us. Like, I think for us as, just a fo- as followers of Jesus, I pray that our worship, I, our worship time, our, our time of psalm just engages all of us. Whether you see the lyrics up here, maybe you know the songs, don't know the songs. As we kind of enter into any time of worship, I hope you can reflect on the words and go, wow, God, this is true. This is good. It bursts into psalm. It bursts into, you know what, I'm going to make a sacrifice. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maybe sacrifice how people view me for the sake of worshiping you. I'm, I'm not going to not care about the moment I'm in for the sake of engaging with you. But you guys know this. Let me, let me just point this out. Um, body language matters, right? Like, you know that body language matters. When you, when you communicate or talk with someone, body language matters. You know, I remember the first time I ever got up and preached, and someone's like, yo, um, do not be dismayed by the looks on their faces. And I'm like, why, why are you saying that? They're like, their body language will tell you, like, whether they're listening or not listening, and I can even see that right now. It's crazy how body language matters, right? And when it comes to worship, body language matters. It matters to God. And it's interesting, like, people wonder, like, why do you do what you do? Why do some people raise hands? Why do some people, like, sit down? Why do some people, like, get really loud and crazy? Why do people get really be still? Because there's ver- verses that kind of incorporate all of this. I love that there's verses that engage our body. We'll, we'll put a few up here just so you can kind of see it. In Psalm 134, he says, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. Psalm 95 says, bow down, kneel. Psalm 47 says, clap your hands. Psalm 47 also says, shout. I mean, there's verse after verse that says, hey, bow, kneel. Stand, stand in awe, be still, shout, clap, lift your hands to his holy place. If you're like wondering for like a theology of like body, like I would say read the Psalms. The Psalms is a workbook on worship. The Psalms is not just like, just like cool, that's cool and poetic. It actually says here's how you should worship, clap your hands. Here's how you should worship, shout. Here's how you should worship, be still. There comes different points in times where like it's okay to, can I tell you some of you like, you know it's okay to raise your hands, we just want to make sure you know. Uh, does that mean you're better or worse? No. It does not mean that you're more like you got further along. I want to kind of just hope in this, in this moment, in this time, to kind of give you some freedom when it comes to worship. You know, I'm going to try to, like, go back for a second. I remember being in middle school, right? You guys remember those awful years of middle school? All right. I remember being in middle school, and, like, I would be, go to, like, a worship setting, and worship was so weird when you're in middle school. And I just remember, like, how do I do this, God? This is so weird. Like, I want to worship you, but I also like her, and she might think, I don't know. It was just so weird. It wasn't about God. It was just, it was just turned into about me, and I, I missed the point of it. And I had a buddy, and I, and I know, still to this day, I know him. And I remember just at a young age, man, he got, like, lost in worship. And I was like, I want that. And I know that might sound weird, like, lost in worship, but you know what that looks like when you're like, wow, like, they don't care. Like, they're just worshiping God. There's a sense of awe there. There was a sense of, like, he is truly focused on the presence and person of Jesus. Like, you could see that he was thinking about the words and, and not just saying them mindlessly. And I'm like, I would, like, sit there being like, that is so cool, but there's no way. And I just, I just feel like we kind of have those examples maybe in our life that uh, maybe you, you've seen and you go, that just seems almost self-centered or that just seems like they're really getting it. Here's what I want to do. I want to, like, use the Psalms as just a way to say, hey, we want to be freed up a little bit. Like, I, I hope you guys know, like, it's not bad to sit down during worship by any means. Maybe you just want, maybe you feel like you need to sit down and be still. That's great. You know, it's not wrong to lift up your hands, to shout, to clap. There's just a freedom I think the Psalms give us when it comes to worship that I'd love to see us experience. That God actually cares about our body language because he gives us, these are commands in the Psalms, like shout, clap, be still. These are basically imperative saying, here's how you can engage with me. 
Like, it's crazy that God says, when you come into my presence, it better be with singing. That's just interesting. It's interesting that God says, approach me with psalm, with song. Approach me with this. You know, so what is worship? You're ascribing ultimate value to something. I love how a pastor, his name's Paul Tripp, he talked about how we as human beings are just glory junkies. Like, we constantly just want glory. Like, whether, like, the people we follow on Instagram or the sporting events, like, we want to be a part of something incredible. It is so cheesy to me when you stick a great sports clip and all the guys, like, high-five, and you're like, you didn't even do anything. But it's like someone did something great, and you're like, oh, this is great, let's high-five each other, right? But, like, we, we react to that. Like, we, our bodies respond. Our bodies engage. There's some sort of emotion response. I'm watching. I'm observing. This is a big deal. Touchdown, whatever. And then there's like some emotional response and roar. My point behind this is that worship is not mindless. It's not overly emotional for the sake of without having your mind. But it's not that you have a mind and you have no emotion. So let me put it this way. Some of you in this room are maybe, you're maybe you're afraid of your emotions, right? You're afraid of expressing emotions to God. You know who you are. Your wife or husband's like, yeah, that's you. All right. Some of you, maybe you're not afraid of emotions. You're afraid of a book, right? You're afraid to read. You're afraid to, to kind of engage with your minds. Here's what worship is. Worship engages with my minds. Like I'm meditating on God's word, who he is. Psalm 118, that's what they're quoting. They see Jesus. They go, the king has come. So that it, it engages their mind, but it also engages with a loud shout. Church, what I'm trying to get at is like God wants our whole person to be engaged with worship. So when we worship, it will involve our body, an act of will, sacrifice. They laid down their coats, some maybe offered some sort of sacrifice to God. It involves your mind, your will, your emotions. My thing is sometimes maybe the church can be overly critical or judgmental of other churches, other worship styles, which I say, let us not be that kind of church. You know, I think like if we were to go to Africa in the way they worship, man, I want to join in on the way they worship. If I were to go to India and they worship another kind of way, I want to be able to engage in the way they worship. I don't want to sit there with my arms crossed and saying they're not playing hills. I don't know. I don't want to do that. I, and I don't want to even come in here. I, 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 can go, I grew up in a church where we, we sung hymns. It's a cappella. <laughs> Thank you, God, for guitars. Like I just, but I grew up with like men's choirs. And honestly, as I was kind of growing through that, like the Lord's like, can you, can you worship me in that style? Can you worship me in any style? doesn't matter whether it's a song you like or don't like. doesn't matter whether it's a style you like or don't like. You know, all of us at some point go, I have a preference. You say, God, that doesn't matter. That's secondary to just me engaging with you. Like that's second, I want to be able to, for us as a community, to, I would love to go on a mission trip and take you guys anywhere and you go, like, we can worship in any culture, in any context, in any way. Not that we just have to copy and paste exactly what they're doing, but we can not just disengage. I get so frustrated when I, there's men who I, I look up to, like they're great theologians, they love the word of God, but when you see them, they disengage in worship. Their arms are crossed because maybe it's not a hymn or it's not what they're used to. And it's like maturity is saying, I want to be able to engage in any form, in any format. Because God, you're worthy. It's not about my taste. It's not about my preference. God, it's about, it's about you. It's about reflecting you. I'm rejoicing in your mighty works. Amen? Hey, so if we had a men's choir next week, let's worship to that. <laughs> not that we are. I'm just saying, if we had whatever it is, whatever it is to happen, I'll be up here with like two other guys, and you're like, okay, I'm leaving. But whatever it is, I just say, how can we engage? Just how can we engage with the Lord? That it's going to involve all of our being. You know, uh, one guy said this, William Temple. He says, to worship is to quicken the conscience uh, by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, to devote the will to the purpose of God. It, it's your imagination. It's your heart. It's your will. It's, it's your whole being. It engages all of us. Amen? Do we get that? This is what I want us to see today. Let me put it this way, too. So worship 
is a way to ascribe ultimate worth that involves all of us. But what is worship? Worship, and think about this, worship it really is ultimate reality. Here's what I mean by that. There's so many great writings on worship and what it is. Worship is a way to engage with truth and real reality, meaning right now in Revelation 4 and 5, when you read that, and we kind of like get a, a glimpse into heaven, you have the angels, the seraphim, the 24 elders. There's like this worship scene going on in heaven. And when you and I participate in worship, here's what happens. We realize that this isn't reality. We realize there's a true reality that we don't see with our eyes. There is a spiritual reality around us going on that is so beautiful that we get to participate in. Do you ever just drive around and just look at like, whether it's the wealthiest things here in South Florida, or you see just brokenness and chaos, and there's like this voice that you says, this isn't real. Like that, that Lamborghini, that's not real. Like this is all a facade. This is all smoke, smoke and mirrors. Like this is not real. And you're going, what is that? We realize there's an ultimate reality that kind of worship ushers us into, where you go, oh my gosh, this is reality. God is on the throne. Worship reminds us of who we are. We are not God. Like, I, I don't have power. I am helpless, man. I'm utterly helpless. Like, I could be diagnosed with something tomorrow and not be here the next day. It's crazy how vulnerable and broken we are. And what worship does is you go, oh my gosh, there is a king of kings. There's a lord of lords. All of heaven's attention and focus is on him. And they're worshiping him and they're singing to him. And there's this holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Like there's this focus on just God that you are God and we are not. And there's this crazy sense of awe and wonder going on. And that is what worship does. It brings us into ultimate reality where you look around and you kind of go, is this reality? And worship, when you close your eyes and you sing those songs and you kind of have the word of God hidden in your heart and just coming out, what God has done for you, you go, this is true reality right here, right now, this moment. You know, it's interesting to me how at 9.15 for this service, right, 9.15, this is not like, hey, let's start worship, right? It's not like 9.15, we're like, let's start church. Obviously, we have to have some sort of meeting time. But at 9.15, you know what we're doing? We're not starting church. There's a call, we call this a call to worship because at 9.15 for this service, you know what happens? We're just saying, hey, let's join in right now live with all of heaven and all of creation and worship God. So I, I love that when you can, like, watch something live, like, and you, like, live stream or you can hop in. Worship is basically that. Like, we're, this call to worship is like, hey, let's sing and praise and shout to the Lord. And what we're doing is like, we are entering into what's already happening in heaven. It's like, oh, cool, the Exchange Church has joined us. Thank you, Exchange. Like, it's already going on. Like, there's so many churches around South Florida worshiping. We're just kind of joining, joining with them to worship the King. You know, there's something so beautiful about this call to worship. This is ultimate reality. And I think, again, it's because we, we find our sense of maybe uh, reality in something else. I love how Richard Foster says this. Listen, he says, To worship is to experience reality, to touch life. It is to know, to feel, to experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of the gathered community. It is breaking into the Shekinah of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God. Like, what the heck is the Shekinah of God? This was just a term used to talk about the glory of God. When the nation of Israel got freed from Egypt, they would gather together. They literally set up church. I just think about them. Like, that's so cool. They set up church. Like, they'd break, they'd set everything up. They'd make the temple. Like, they'd make the tent. They'd have worship. And it says the Shekinah, the glory of God would rest on the place. And he's saying, here's what ultimate reality is. When the church gathers together, we are worshiping the resurrected Christ. This is where, just like God met the people there, God meets us here, rests on us here. And he goes, this is the real ultimate reality. When we enter with God in worship, 
You know, again, my hope, you guys, on a Sunday morning is not just that we have interesting Bible study time, which I want us to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. I want us to grow in the Word of God. I want us to grow as students of the Word. You know, we should study to show ourselves approved unto God, rightly dividing the Word of truth. The work may not be ashamed. Like, there's something beautiful about knowing the Word of God and studying it. But if it doesn't lead to worship, then we're even missing the point of studying the Word of God. It must lead to worship. It must lead to, thank you, Jesus. You know, there's one of the most famous preachers of all times, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he said this about that. He says, there, listen, there should come a time when the pen goes down and the eyes go up and you stop saying, oh my God, look at what I have to do for you. And you start saying, oh my God, look at what you are and what you've done for me. There's come a point in time when you're studying the Bible, when you're in service, hopefully you have your pen, like taking notes. There comes a point in time you go, God, thank you. Like, this is not just cool facts and information. Thank you, God. Not like, oh my gosh, the Bible has so many commands for me to do. I have so many things to do now. It's like, oh God, thank you. Look what you've done for me. It just turns into worship. Study turns into worship. This is what, we mean, what I meant earlier by theology and doxology. It just leads to just praise and song. Church, are you, are you following me on this? Worship, it just engages our whole being, our mind, our will, our emotions, just this sense of like, God, the sacrifice, everything I'm totally in. Now, why, why do we worship? That's what worship is, but why do we worship? Like, why do we do this? Why do Christians emphasize? Why do I teach right now on, we should, we should be a singing church? Like, what is that about? Like, why do we do this? Um, a few ways to answer this, but I want to look at verse uh, 39 here. Look at verse 39. Luke chapter 19, verse 39, why we worship. Listen to what he says. Some of the Pharisees, after seeing this, they, they called to Jesus from the crowd. Pharisees, right? Teacher, they don't even say Lord, like, teacher, rebuke your disciples, Jesus answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. I just love that response. They're like, hey, Jesus, do you know what's happening here? They're worshiping you. We only worship one. We worship God. Jesus is like, yeah, I know. Like, again, Jewish people didn't worship anyone other than God. And they're worshiping Jesus. They're praising Jesus. And the Pharisees are like freaking out. Like, this is not biblical, man. Like, tell them to stop rebuking disciples. He's like, if I tell them to stop, just watch creation start singing. Like, watch everything else start joining. Watch the rocks start crying out. They're like, everyone's going to just, you're going to see just all of creation jump in if they stop right now. Here's why, because we're made for this. Like, the point of why we worship is we were made for this. We were made by him and for him. All things through him and to him and for his glory, Romans eleven thirty six. I mean, this idea of just, this is what we were made for. Like, we got to get this deep down, just ingrained into our hearts that, like, God's like, listen, even creation itself is made for this. Here's a couple of the Psalms. I love this. Psalm 66. Uh, it says, all the earth worships you and sing praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Psalm 150, verse 6. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is the last verse in the Psalms. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. All of the earth worships you. Obviously, we're made for this. Like, we're made for this. I just love this idea, and I, I know you probably saw this last year. I'm sorry if I'm just boring you with this, but 11 years ago when we went to Israel on the Mount of Olives, I was listening to a sermon uh, by Chuck Smith talking about, listen, we're on the Mount of Olives where Jesus came in on a donkey, and, we're, you know, here we are where literally Jesus said that the stones, the rocks would cry out, and he's like, everyone grab a stone and never forget, and so I grabbed my stone, and I know I just my famous stone. I love it. It's the same stone. This is the stone I grabbed from the Mount of Olives, and mine's shaped like a mouth. It's shaped like Pac-Man because I want to remember that if I didn't worship, this thing would start talking, right? And I love that. Like, I know that's every, I just love this so much. It reminds Reminds me, God, listen, everything was made by you and for you. Creation's groaning to be redeemed, Romans 8 says. Like everything was made for, for just relationship with you, for harmony with you, to just see things realigned again back with you. 
Like, we are made for this. Just stay with me. You guys know this, but this is just true. Everyone worships, obviously. It's not like there are people who worship and people who don't worship. There's not two groups of people. Everyone worships. Atheists worship. I mean, Buddhists, everyone worships something. Their philosophy, their belief system, themselves, their money, their authority, their power. Everyone finds value in something. Everyone ascribes value to something. The way we describe worship, ascribing ultimate value. Everyone finds some sort of value in something. And obviously, like, our hearts are just built and wired for worship. Like, we're constantly, if we don't worship Jesus, we're going to worship something else. you got to understand that everyone's made for this. There's not people who worship and people who don't. Everyone's made to worship. And it's crazy because we, if we try to worship things that will never satisfy us, like, we think if I could just have more money, if we could have more relationships, more power, more sex, more whatever, we go, if I could just have more, then I'd find value, then I'd find worth. And you realize, why are these desires not fulfilling me? Like, I'm finding it, I'm giving into it. And maybe for years, you spent that season of just like, I want to find value in this thing. I want to worship this. This is the end all be all. This is, this is why I exist, to get more of this. This is why I exist, to experience this. And you go, why am I not feeling a sense of joy and satisfaction and completion? It's because we were made to worship, yes, but to worship the one who will fulfill that eternal void in our hearts. And that is obviously only an eternal God. And so we hear as we stuff our hearts with all these temporary things that never satisfy, they never fulfill us. It's like cotton candy. You put it in your mouth and it just dissolves immediately. You're like, there's no substance here. And then God is like, taste and see. Like, I'm good. Like, worship me. Like, you'll find substance in me. Like, this eternal void obviously is fulfilled by God who is eternal. And God's like, I want to fulfill and meet this need and longing of your heart. Listen, all of us worship. All of us do. Your non-believing friends worship something. And here's what we're trying to do. Do we get this? Evangelism is saying, hey, you're worshiping this. I want to turn your heart and attention to worship Jesus, the one you're made for. I want to turn your heart, your focus, your desires to worship the one you're created for. You're already worshiping something. You're already finding value in something. You're already finding ultimate meaning in something. Just we want to place that now and set it on Jesus. Jesus is like, hey, if, if they don't worship me, all of creation will. Because, like, we're just made. We're made for this. I mean, this is what I want to get deep down. Listen, worship is not just a responsibility, but the ultimate need of your heart, the ultimate need of your life. It's not just, hey, we should worship, but this is, like, the ultimate need we have. God knows, like, you'll be satisfied as you worship. Because you'll be satisfied in me. We find this meaning and depth there. It is unbelievable. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote about this, how we as human beings all have desires. And you think about this. Think about the desire for money. It just, it can lead to war. Think about the desire for sex. It can just lead to marriages being split. Think about the desire for certain things people have. It's so strong, right? It's so strong. It can lead them to being blind and doing ridiculous things or painful things, hurting people, being destructive along the way. Our desires are so crazy strong. And C.S. Lewis is writing about this, and he goes, no, no, our desires aren't strong enough. And here's what he said in his C.S. Lewis way. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holy of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. He's like, we're children with our desires. You think you have strong desires, but you go, you're too satisfied with the simplest of things. He's like, why ch- children? Like we're satisfied with just playing, you know, in the mud. And they miss out on just like a beautiful holiday at sea or vacation at sea. The point for us is we might settle for things that will never truly give us value or worth or meaning. And it just frustrates us. And he says, you have strong desires for those things, but those desires are not strong enough. That desire is reflecting this greater desire for God himself. 
Like, this, the desire you have is strong. You really want that. You really think this will make you happy, but actually your desires are too weak. Have a stronger desire. Realize that desire is not strong enough. There's something beyond that. There's something past that. And I love what he offers in that explanation. You know, listen, the point of this is God is not some means to another end. Sometimes the church can be like, if you believe in God, God will bless you or do this. Here's the thing. God is not some means to an end. He is the end. God is not like, don't use me to get what you really want. Want me. Crave me. Desire me. I want you to desire me above everything else. Jonathan Edwards said it this way. The mark of authentic spiritual experience is that you become satisfied with God for who he is and not just for the benefits he gives you. Spiritual maturity looks like that. You're just satisfied for who he is, not, not what he can give you. I just want you, God, and you alone. I'll be satisfied. It's, it's Paul going, God, your grace is enough for me. That's it. I just want you. It, it's your grace. It's sufficient for me. I mean, this goes back to something we call the Westminster Confession, but this idea that all men, like, we were created by God and to enjoy him forever. We are created to glorify him and just to enjoy him forever. That's why we exist. He's just to enjoy him. He's not some means to an end. He is the end. And this is the point of that. Listen, listen, worship, what it really does is it recalibrates our hearts and our affections to Jesus. I just want you to stay with me for a second. When we get together, we sing. God is just redirecting our hearts and our affections to Jesus. Just saying, Jesus, it's you. That's why we're here. Jesus, you're on the throne. I'm getting distracted with all these other things. I've been putting something above you. And it just, it just reminds us of just our, our hearts and our affections were built for him and it's found in him. You know, I, I'm at the place now, maybe you are too at this age, but like I wake up injured. I don't know if that happens to you. I hate it. Like I'll wake up and be like, oh my gosh, keep on my neck. I'm, I'm like dying. And it's weird how like you wake up injured, like nothing happened and I'm waking up injured, right? Like you wake up hurt. And so I, I'm like, you know, last week I went to the chi- chiropractor again and like they readjust me, they put me back in alignment. And it's like, you almost like, oh my gosh, I feel like a new person. Like they've got that kink out and I feel great now. And it's crazy. Worship is kind of like that where we just are constantly getting thrown out of alignment. Like you might wake up and be like, I feel off today. And like worship, what it does. Like it just kind of is that chiropractor adjustment. Like, oh, I feel bad. I'm back to where I need to be. Like, it just got, it realigns us the way God made us, the way God attend, intends us to be. It's that chiropractor adjustment, if you will, to kind of put things back in priority, put, back God on the, put God back on the throne. You go, oh my gosh, God, thank you. This is it. You see, this is why, why we worship. Now, lastly, this, how do we worship? That's a weird, kind of a weird point. But how do we worship? There's so many ways, so many things we can talk about. But I want to look at how we worship. Uh, if you would, look at verse 37 one more time. Verse 37 How do we worship? Look at verse 37. I think we get a little key indicator here. Verse 37, it says, The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen. All right, say with me. How do we worship? Here's what I see here. Uh, We see a community-rich worship. Meaning, we see, it says, the whole multitude of the disciples. Like, I love this. They just line the streets, throwing down their clothes. They're together. They're worshiping, and they're doing it together. There is something about worshiping together. There just is. There's something about, listen, we need to worship alone. We need to sing alone. Absolutely. The Psalms talk about that. But you see, primarily in Scripture, there's this idea of the church singing together. It's Paul and Silas together in prison singing together, and the jail doors open. It's the church coming together, and we're worshiping and singing that God's just tangible presence is there. 
That's the Shekinah glory that was mentioned. There's just something, listen, there's something unique about when the people of God gather together that God meets us here. I know I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but people uh, who, who attend our church who've been online for a long time, they go, during worship, I could not stop crying because I, I just haven't experienced that. I've been at home for a year watching online, and it's been so hard to focus, so hard to pay attention, but here I feel like I could actually let the word sit and resonate with me. I feel like God was speaking to me the whole time. Listen, there's just something about worshiping together. Like, I really do believe the enemy is brilliant. For the last years, they've done a really good job trying to keep us apart in so many different formats because there's just something about the people of God getting together where God shows up in unique ways. And I don't fully understand that. I really don't. And I don't want to pull verses out of context, but I do think there is something about two or more being gathered together in the, in the name of Jesus, where Jesus just shows up in a tangible way, that God inhabits the praises of his people. I think there's something unique about this that can't necessarily take place apart, that God does something unique when we're together. Let me just read this uh, to you by Donald Whitney. He says, there's an element of worship in Christianity that cannot be experienced in private worship or by watching worship. There are some graces and blessings that God gives only in meeting together with other believers. I so believe this. There's just a unique grace that God gives when only when we meet with other believers. That can only take place when we're together. And I think there's a moment where it's like, we've got to like realize, like, let's go, let's go, let's get back together. Like, all right, we're in a season now. Thank you, Lord, for just this rollout. Like, let's go, let's get back together. The enemy's kind of kept us apart for a long time. There's a unique grace, I believe, that falls on God's people when we come together. It is Psalm 95, where he says, Come, let us sing to the Lord. Come, let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us uh, come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Like, notice this in Psalm 95. He goes, Let us, let us, let us, let us kneel, let us shout, let us come together. There's just something about let us, let us. A part of me, it's even those watching online, like, let us come together, come together. Let us come together again. There's a unique grace. There's this community. The disciples were gathered when they worshiped Jesus coming. And here's another thought I just want to leave with you. Obviously, like how do we worship? It is John 4, 24, where Jesus says, um, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And I obviously must make this connection that worship, we can't necessarily force it or fake it. You know, I'm not trying to say fake it till you make it, raise your hands, clap. I'm not trying to say that. I'm trying to say in some ways, practice it till you become it. Don't fake it till you make it, but just practice it till you become it. What does it mean to worship God in spirit and truth? Man, this is something, even I just go, God, what does this look like? What does this mean? I want to go back to the teaching on the Spirit in, in Ephesians 5, where he says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. According to Paul, uh, worshiping in Spirit is just communicating psalms and hymns, speaking, singing, like knowing, having the Word of Christ dwell in you where it leads to singing Colossians 3.16. It's this unique blend of just, God, we're, we're going to sing. Like when you're filled with the Spirit, you want to sing. God, thank you for what you've done. You just sing. You know, I love that someone says a skillful worshiper is more like a sailor, right? A sailor who really just kind of throws up uh, the, the, not net, what is that called now? The sail. <laughs> they throw up the sail and just let the wind take them, right? And I just think of that like, man, a skillful worshiper just got to throw up the sail. Like, God, here, I'm here. Like, I'm just, I'm making myself available to worship you. I'm not going to try to force it. I'm just going to throw up the sail and say, God, I'm here. Like, I'm here in your presence. I'm going to sing. I'm going to shout. I- I'm going to do this. I'm going to do what your word says in this. I think there's something about that. And listen, lastly is this. We need to have like a word-based worship. This is not some dry, some like, this is not a concert, obviously. This is not some like, we just want to get hype here. Come on, guys, get more hype. That's not what this, this plea is. It's saying we want the word of God to like fuel us to song. It's why they took Psalm 118 and they just start singing and worshiping and celebrating. That We take the word of God to like lead us and fuel us in worship. 
where like worship is not just some concert, like come on, get hype. It's not that, but the word of God is doing something with you. You're meditating, you're pondering, you're thinking about it, and it just leads to song, and that's what we want. Warren Wearsby, a great author, pastor, says, too often Christian praise is nothing but religious entertainment, and it never moves into spiritual enrichment in the presence of the Lord. Like it needs to move to spiritual enrichment. Last thought is this. Um, how tragic is it if we come to church and we have like a full notebook but an empty heart? Like if you come to church and you gain some knowledge and information but it didn't lead to worship. My thing is like as we study God's word, let us do what Martin Lloyd-Jones said, put our pen down and say, wow, God, look at who you are. Look at what you've done. Let the, the word of God lead us and fuel us to worship. That's what we want. Church, we are going to obviously end with worship. Listen, this is Palm Sunday. This is the week before Jesus rose again. This is what we call the start of Holy Week, where we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, descending from the Mount of Olives on a donkey, and people are saying, Hosanna, save now. You can save us. Save us. Help us. We need you. And then Jesus will go into the temple. He'll overturn tables. And within a matter of days, their hearts already turned against Jesus. And they'll crucify him. And the third day, he'll rise. And that's why the church met from meeting on Saturdays to Sundays. We started meeting on Sundays to remember the resurrection. I mean, to me, it's weird. Easter is a bizarre thing because I want every Sunday to be like a resurrection Sunday where we remember Jesus. But this is the week before where we remember Jesus, you rose again. Jesus, you conquered sin, hell, and death. My hope is this Palm Sunday that we can learn from the crowd here, even though they're going to get, get it wrong in a couple of days. I hope we can learn from them and say, we're going to join in and say, save now. God, move. Hey, they sung together. They let the word of God fuel them. There was a sense of just throwing up their sail and saying, I don't care what others think. I'm going to lay down my coat. I'm going to go to my house, lay down my clothes, whatever. I'm going to get whatever I need. I'm going to make a sacrifice. I'm going to lay down what I got for you, Jesus. Because worship's going to cost me something. Worship's going to engage my mind, my emotions, my will, my everything. And that's what I want worship to be. I just want us to kind of engage with God right now in worship. If you want to get alone, get alone. If you want to find a new seat, that's fine. If you want to stand, I would just say let's put to practice what we just read, what we just heard. Let us shout. Let us sing. Let us clap. Let us raise our hands to the Lord, to his holy temple. Let us do what the, the word of God has given us. Let this not be a, a Bible study. Let it fuel our hearts. And thank you, Jesus. You know why? Because they sang save now, but we already know you already saved. Like it's Hosanna in a whole different way. It's not save now. It's Hosanna, you already have saved. You've already done it. We're not begging God to save us. We're looking back and thanking him for already saving us. They're begging God to save us. We're saying, Jesus, you've already saved us. Thank you. We can worship, actually, I think, a little better because we know it is finished. We know it is done. So why don't you guys just stand with me? Why don't you stand up, close your eyes, give some time for the Spirit to just kind of speak and move, throw up your sail, if you will. Just let, let the Lord kind of just minister to your heart and let's, let's sing, let's worship. So let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for your Son. We thank you for, for Jesus, that he, he is the King who has come. That, God, we say Hosanna with this mindset that you already have saved. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we ask that as we worship, it'd be in spirit and in truth, it'd be in psalm and in hymn, that we'd sing it, we'd shout it, we'd meditate on it, we'd be, be still before you, God, in your presence. Lord, this right now, would you lead us and give us this freedom as we worship? Jesus, we just invite you, we ask, God, that your truly, your tangible presence would just rest on us. God, bring healing for those who are just, just mentally and emotionally tired and are in pain or just exhausted from life. Just strengthen them. Jesus, rest on them. Let's just find a sense of peace and healing in you right now. In your name, Jesus.